welcome back to Access Control. I'm your host, Chris Duyard, editor of the Total Security Daily Advisor. So there's an ever-increasing demand to deploy IP-based surveillance cameras and other security devices, but uh, wiring can be very challenging as cameras may need to be placed in areas where running traditional network cabling may be impossible or prohibitively expensive. Uh, Fortunately, there are some options uh, that are simple and cost-effective to establish wireless backhaul links based on Wi-Fi technology uh, that can be tailored to connect two or more fixed locations. Um, There are multiple vendors offering a wide range of products with different capabilities and costs, so that can make it a little confusing as to what the best product is for your application. Uh, Today on the podcast, we have Jason Hintersteiner, the Director of Business Development at LegaWave, a manufacturer of wireless equipment that specializes in point-to-multipoint wireless backhaul, as well as indoor and outdoor Wi-Fi applications. Uh, He's going to help us break down some of the basics of the technology, along with uh, some common considerations for creating a successful design for wireless backhaul links. Jason has a decade of experience as a principal network architect and analyst for several hundred wired Wi-Fi point-to-multipoint wireless backhaul networks uh, for a broad spectrum of clients that include hospitality, student housing, assisted living, residential apartments, uh, religious nonprofits, education, warehouses, factories, commercial offices, and retail. Uh, In addition, he's also taught dozens of vendor-specific training courses. So uh, without further ado, Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Excellent. Let's get started. Um, so I think we need to start with some basics, right? So let's pretend I'm a security officer with limited or no experience with wirelessly linking IP cameras. Um, what exactly is wireless backhaul? So in essence, wireless backhaul is essentially a wireless wire. So what you're doing is you're connecting two wired devices together wirelessly. So what this does is it allows you to establish a network connection to a remote area without needing to run an ethernet cable or fiber cable, which could be expensive, if not impossible, if you don't have the proper right of ways. Um, So from the perspective of both the camera at one end and then your core switch at the other end, you've got a wired connection. And so from both ends of your link, it looks like a wired connection. But in reality, what you're doing is you're taking that wired frame, you're encoding it wirelessly, encrypting it, transmitting it via radio across your link, decrypting it and decoding it at the other end, and then passing it along as a wired connection. And unlike wiring, we can also do both point to point, right? So a wire would connect one point to a second point. We can also do point to multi-point. Okay. And what that does is that allows you to have multiple endpoints that are sharing one radio connection. So you need to be sensitive to the the total bandwidth in your channel, but this could save you quite a bit on both the hardware that you need to deploy as well as the complexity of the configuration that you need to have. Okay. So with wireless, right, is the security industry is still pretty much discussing benefits of fiber optic or coax cabling for surveillance installations. Um, What's some of the value that wireless provides over those traditional hardwired devices in situations where you could use wire? So typically the the biggest benefit's gonna come from cost. 
um, because in, in areas where it's difficult or it's expensive to run wiring, um, it can often be much cheaper to put in wireless links. Um, now, when you're you mentioned coax versus fiber optic, coax cabling is traditionally limiting you to analog cameras, analog surveillance. And we all know that that has limits in terms of the full video resolution that you can get and, and some limits in terms of scalability. Whereas if you're going to an IP-based camera network, right, it's much more scalable. You could put a lot more cameras on it. Um, it's a lot easier to extend and so forth. Fiber is good for long distance runs, but you still need some type of media converter to turn it back to Ethernet at the remote end. Wireless links, you can basically, it's doing the wireless to Ethernet conversion for you. So it's basically converting Ethernet to wireless on one side and then wireless mm -hmm. to Ethernet on the other side. Okay. So you're, you're basically looking at big cost savings overall, um, especially, I guess, on longer longer deployments. Yeah, so I mean, think think about a scenario where I have to deploy across a public street, for instance. Um, I don't necessarily have the right of way to rip up the street and lay fiber optic cable or lay Ethernet cable or even lay coax cable. Um, so if mm -hmm. I don't already have an existing connection and conduit between the buildings, I'm kind of stuck because you really can't run wire without going to the city and going getting permits and all of that. And that's probably going to make your, your project prohibitively expensive. Whereas, well, I could just set up a wireless link on the roof of each building and shoot across 50 feet or 100 feet, and I'm done. And, you know, I could do that for a few hundred bucks. So, you know, it, it definitely saves you a lot of time and a lot of cost and a lot of headaches uh, when, when running wiring is just not possible or just prohibitively expensive for your project. Okay. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I guess that actually leads right into my, my next question. Um, now in terms of scale, right, are there limitations to wireless, uh, wireless installations? Um, like, uh, is there a space that's too small or too large uh, to, to deploy wireless. So, so typically you're not going to deploy wireless in an indoor environment. So if you've got like a, an office building or a store or something else where you're erecting cameras, you still need to have power at each location. So if, if I've got mm -hmm. drop ceilings or if I have to run cables anyway, in order to run power, you might as well just run the ethernet cable and, and then just hook it up wired. So you're, you're typically not going to do it for indoor deployments. Now where, where you might have an exception to that would be in large indoor environments with open areas. So think things like shopping malls or warehouses uh, or other kind of large indoor environments where running cabling might be difficult. Um, but I have, you know, an open space that I can actually transmit uh, wiring across. Um, in terms of areas that are too large, we sell equipment that's designed to go several miles. Um, typically, most surveillance applications are going 500 feet, 1,000 feet. Mm -hmm. uh, we have kind of different classes of application if you're going kind of like under a mile versus over a mile. Um, but we have equipment that if you needed to shoot, you know, 5, 10, 15 miles away to get oh, a surveillance wow. camera, we've done applications like that. The primary issue is actually going to be one of line of sight because you, you really need the ends to be visible to each other. Um, so if I need to if the distances are very short and I just need to shoot through like one wall or, or one tree, 
you could generally make that work if your distances are longer and you've got a lot of obstacles in the way, um, especially trees in an outdoor environment, but also buildings, um, then you might have some limitations in terms of your range. And typically there we need to kind of figure out how to basically relay the shots. So to go for to shoot from A to B and then from B to C um, in order to, to get coverage everywhere that you want to have coverage. Okay. And that would be the point multi-point versus point to point that's correct so for example for point to point right i might be going from point a to point b right and i might have a second point to point link that goes from point b to point c mm -hmm. if i can't see point c from point a if i could see point c and b from a then i would do point to multi-point so i'd have one antenna at a that would pick up both b and c okay okay excellent um so uh, folks who are who are interested in some of these, you know, wireless uh, backhaul links for more uh, complicated or longer distance setups, um, what kind of challenges uh, could they expect when switching to or upgrading to a wireless deploy deployment from their traditional uh, cable? So I got three basic words, which is plan, plan, plan. Um, makes sense. <laughs> this is it's you know it's active electronic equipment. It's not as simple as okay, I'm just going to take these units out of the box. I'm going to hang them up, point them at each other, turn them on, and boom, I'm I've got a connection. Mm -hmm. it, it's not much harder than that, but but it, it's not just a matter of all right. I'm just going to take these things out of the box, plug them in, and and boom, they're working and and they're going and everything's good. So I usually recommend you know set up the equipment you know, on the shelf, you know, on the bench, I mean, um, you know, before you go out into the field, make sure that they're talking to each other, make sure that you have the IP addresses correct, make sure that you have all of your channels and everything correct. Uh, you know, make sure that the link is established and they're talking to each other uh, before you go out in the field so that when you have your technicians out in the field, they're literally just worried about hanging the equipment and making sure they're aligned correctly. Okay. For alignment, you know, typically for short shots, you know, and, and by short, I mean like a thousand feet or less. Usually you could just align these things by eye that the equipment that we have for for kind of the smaller distance shots have a wide enough field of view. So they have a wide enough beam width that that and the distances are short enough that the alignment doesn't need to be totally precise. As you go longer and longer distances, especially those shots that are going several miles, then you need to have very accurate alignment. And there and there are tools for allowing you to do that. Okay. The other big thing that, that people tend to run into, and it's one of the biggest mistakes I've seen in these types of deployments, is people not understanding the capacity of the links versus the amount of traffic that their cameras are generating. Okay. So what do I mean by this, right? You know, the, the more megapixels you have, the higher the frame rate, the more bandwidth that a particular camera is going to consume. And the biggest mistake I've seen is where people basically try to stuff too many cameras across a single wireless mm -hmm. link. And, and then basically they're overloading the capacity of the link and then everything is suffering. So this is where planning kind of comes into play where you need to look at, okay, here's the total array of cameras that I need to deploy. Here's how I'm going to hit them all and get all of that data back to your NVR. And sometimes that means parallel links because sometimes... I've got too many cameras to go over a single link. You know, these things can be planned for, but they need to be planned for up front. You know, that said, I always do my own designs with a little bit of 
you know, a little bit of margin and, mm-hmm. and some capacity built in because I have yet to work on any surveillance project where somebody's not adding a camera at the last minute. Yeah. Um, I've seen projects where they're already deployed and it's like, oh, I need an extra camera there and an extra camera there. And you don't want to break your entire wireless infrastructure because somebody's decided to add a couple of cameras at the very last minute. So we always try to plan these things so that there's a bit of excess capacity so that when, not if, when somebody sneaks in uh, an extra camera or two, it's it's not going to break your whole system. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I, I imagine it would be incredibly cost prohibitive to start rebuild, like have to rebuild once you've already got everything for your previous design. Yeah. And, you know, you different radios might have different capacities. So if, if I'm starting off designing at low capacity, uh, I had a project once where they put in relatively low capacity radios. This was a few years ago. Um, so it was back in the 802.11n days. So we didn't have 802.11ac at that point mm-hmm. yet. And um, everything was working fine. And then the installer, the, the installer's client said, oh, I need license plate cameras right in order to read the license plates of of cars coming onto the property and these were these like 10 megapixel cameras that were generating like 20 30 megs a piece and and the design that the the installer had was pretty marginal so he goes and he adds these cameras and of course it takes down the whole network because there was like one critical link coming out of the mdf that had all of this traffic coming in and it was basically kind of at capacity and then he starts adding these high resolution cameras and the whole thing breaks down so that's the type of thing that you want to watch for okay. um, when you're when you're planning these things out. It's, it's really try to understand your capacity up front, un- understand that you need to leave yourself some margins so that if you get a last minute requirement like that, you can handle it uh, without breaking everything. Um, because to kind of try to go back in later and add stuff in later tends to be very costly and generate a lot of headaches. Okay. Uh, so one more question on this on this kind of line before we move on to uh, something else. Um, so some security professionals might be a little hesitant to depart from traditional systems, uh, while others, you know, might be kind of gung ho and uh, try to jump in a little too quick. Uh, what recommendations do you have um, for striking a balance between that, and how might you persuade someone who's skeptical? Uh, while guiding any other members of their team who may be a little overconfident? So, you know, whenever you're deploying any type of new technology, whether it's wireless or something else, I always recommend that you start small. So I I would just pick a a simple project that's got one link or two links uh, so that you you get out there, you get them working, you get comfortable with the equipment, and, and then ramp up slowly in terms of your complexity. So, you know, don't go from, okay, uh, I've got a property with one link. Hey, I did that successfully. Now I got a property that requires 20 links. Like you want to try to kind of scale upwards. The other thing that you can do though, because sometimes you get that opportunity for the property with 20 links and well, I want to seize that opportunity is ask for help. Um, We we live in a kind of a funny time when the internet kind of gives everybody a false sense of knowledge because whatever topic I'm interested in, right, it's just a Google search away. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that that a lot of that knowledge has become crowdsourced, um, which sounds great in principle, but in practice, it winds up leading to 
having forums of clueless people trying to guide other clueless people. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it's a recipe for disaster. So if you're going to undertake a project like this, that, that is, is perhaps a little bit kind of beyond the scope of what you've done before, make sure that you have a mentor, make sure that you have somebody who's, who's done this before and can really advise you on your application. And that's one of the things that I personally do quite a bit for LegalWave um, is work with customers on what we call pre-sales design engineering, which is basically that customer comes to us with a project and says, Hey, I've got, you know, I've got this property and here's where I'm putting all of these cameras and how do I do this? And we'll sketch it out for them. We'll tell them, okay, here's the set of equipment you need. Here's how each link or, or point to point or point to multi-point group of links needs to be configured. Um, and we'll, we'll step them through the process the first time. Sometimes we step them through the process, the first two or three projects, uh, just to make sure that they're comfortable and confident with it. Um, because we've done this a lot. Yeah. And, and so we know what works and what doesn't work. And we know what settings are, are good and what settings are not so good. You know, sometimes there's not in design, there's not necessarily one right answer, but there are always better and worse alternatives. So we'll typically work with the with the integrator in order to make sure that we've picked at least a good alternative uh, in, in okay. terms of what they can do. We also have we also offer some online tools. We have a link calculator that's online that allows people to kind of plan out links on their own. But somebody that that's new to the business. Um, I would definitely recommend, you know, ask for help, ask, ask us for help, because that's what we're here for. Now, not all vendors offer that kind of help. Legal Wave does. And that's one of the ways that we distinguish ourselves in the marketplace. Uh, okay. Some other companies don't. The other two things that I would recommend on this topic um, is standardized. So as you scale up and as you do more projects, you probably most of your projects are probably going to be fairly similar in type. And so you're going to want to standardize on the same two or three models of access point for your links mm -hmm. uh, for similar types of applications. So obviously, right, you know, how, you know, what I need to hit and, and how long particular links are is going to be dependent on each project. But the equipment is flexible enough that you can typically use the same two or three access points across all of your deployments. That simplifies your ability to scale. It also simplifies your ability to troubleshoot and maintain. Finally, uh, companies like ours uh, have monitoring and management tools. So when you are scaling up and you are moving to multiple properties, um, mm -hmm. most vendors will have cloud you know, cloud control software for their Wi-Fi. We offer cloud control software for both our Wi-Fi and all of our point-to-point -point and point-to-multipoint links. And what that means is that you can set up a point-to-multipoint link or, or a set of links at a property. I can monitor them online and I can get advanced notifications if links are going down or if the traffic profile looks, you know, wrong, like, you know, hey, it's not passing nearly as much traffic as it usually does or it's passing too much traffic. So you have, there are tools in place that will help you monitor and maintain these networks after they're initially deployed. And, and certainly if you're an integrator and you're getting paid a monthly fee to, to maintain somebody's security network, um, you want the tools to be able to do that. And especially tools that might help you fix problems remotely and not have to do a truck roll to a site. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, just one quick follow-up here uh, for those who maybe 
interested but really uncomfortable. Uh, does LegalWave offer any kind of install services or work with groups of technicians anywhere that, that, that can help folks having trouble on the ground? So we are a manufacturer. That said, we do work with, we do have uh, companies that we, some integration companies that, that we've worked with rather extensively in various parts of the country. Um, and often we'll get requests for recommendations in certain areas. I just had one recently where I was working with a, a, a firm that's based in Vancouver and they've got a project in the Dallas area and we did the design for them. And then they came and said, Hey, do you know anybody who's good at installing this stuff in, in the Dallas Fort Worth area? We recommended a firm that I've worked with for a couple of years now who, who has done several installations of our equipment. So, you know, that t typically, you know, especially in, in major areas, we typically have some some customers that that we know are familiar with our equipment um that do good work you know that that will recommend okay that's good to know um so moving on to another another topic how sensitive are these wireless links um to any kind of interference that might come from either natural environment other communications infrastructure uh or broadcast signals and um if there are any impacts, how how can uh, integrators, you know, work around them? So that's a great question because um, one of the you know all of the links that we're talking about are, are in the unlicensed portions of the spectrum, um, which has benefits and drawbacks. Mm -hmm. Right, the the benefit of being unlicensed is I don't have to go to the FCC every time I want to put up a link. Yeah, I can just buy the equipment and put up a link. The problem is, is that so can everybody else. Um, and, you know, especially with uh, if you're installing like in a, in a residential neighborhood, like a garden style apartment complex, um, I, I've come lately to call it, you know, these environments are infested with Wi-Fi yeah. um, because what a, what a cable company or, or, or other kind of typical, you know, uh, carrier provider will do is they'll, they'll take a, a, a cable modem with a built-in Wi-Fi access point that's designed to cover a 2,000 square foot home, mm -hmm. they'll put it in a thousand square foot apartment, and it'll be surrounded by other thousand square foot apartments that are also have these things that are broadcasting way too loud. And what winds up happening is is that the airwaves are just full of Wi-Fi, and that there are no good usable channels. This yeah. is especially true on the 2.4 gigahertz band, okay. um, and there's other stuff going on on the 2.4 band like Bluetooth and Zigbee and, and a whole bunch of other stuff that, that happens on 2.4, um, which is why most of these links are on the 5 gigahertz band. Um, even so, on 5 gigahertz, uh, a lot of the channels on 5 gigahertz are all, also very crowded with Wi-Fi. Um, so interference is usually, uh, it can be a big problem depending on the environment. So so what can, what can you do to mitigate this? Um, one is our equipment as well as our competitors' equipment usually have spectrum analysis tools and, and Wi-Fi scanner tools that will basically tell you, okay, what channels are, are busy in the area so that if you're running into an interference issue, you could try to pick a, a channel that's reasonably unpopulated. Mm -hmm. The other thing is actually the directional antenna, because we use directional antennas uh, in the wireless links in order to extend the range, that actually helps with interference because an antenna is basically a lens for radio signal. So it focuses your ability to talk in a particular direction and it focuses your ability to hear in that direction, which means that that one of the advantages of that is that I can hear 
less well in surrounding directions. Mm -hmm. Any interference in some of those off directions, I'm less sensitive to. Okay. If you can hang the APs kind of higher, especially in that type of environment, if you could hang them a little higher and get kind of above kind of the ambient noise, that can sometimes help. Mm -hmm. um, but typically, you know, the, the best way to get around the interference is actually on site, do a scan and then try to pick a channel or a set of channels that, that don't seem to have much activity on them. Okay, that's pretty uh, pretty logical solution. Um, now, you know, naturally security officers are going to be concerned about uh, the overall integrity of the surveillance feed. Um, now, how secure are the wireless links between these cameras, uh, the subscriber base units, um, the whole system all the way down to the, uh, to the NVR? Um, and, uh, I mean, could these signals be, are they subject to high, being hijacked or intercepted? Um, or, you know, even could somebody get really creative maybe and use interference to disrupt a signal to then kind of get into, uh, you know, physically access the, the building? So, you know, if you take a few simple steps, and, and this is not just true for wireless, but this is true for networking equipment in general, um, there are a few simple steps that you can take to, to make these things very secure um, so, such that they are not the weakest kind of point on your network. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, change the default password on, on the access point so somebody can't log into it. The, yeah. the, other, the other thing is when you establish a link, you, you have to set up an SSID and by default, there's no encryption but there, there's an option to turn on encryption. You always want to use WPA2 PSK encryption. Yeah. Um, because anybody that, that comes in with a, with a Wi-Fi sniffer and, and can overhear the traffic will, will see, okay, there's traffic being passed. But if the traffic is encrypted, then what they're going to hear is nonsense. And if they don't know the key, then they can't, um, they can't decode it. Okay. So... You know, you know, these are, you know, basic kind of things. Um, the main thing that I would suggest, though, is, is make sure that the wired portion of your network is also secured. Um, I've seen people worried about wireless security and making sure everything's encrypted properly. And then they have, you know, it's hooked into an unmanaged switch in an unlocked closet or shed yeah. um, that, you know, frankly, it would be much easier as a hacker to just kind of go in and plug into that switch. And now I've got access to the whole network and frankly it doesn't matter that my wireless is encrypted because I'm only encrypting over that wireless link. So it's coming in unencrypted. I encrypt it to go over the wireless link, but then I unencrypt it. So it's not actually encrypted end to end, which is which is really what you want. Uh, now you asked if, if somebody could get creative. Yeah. Yes, yeah, somebody could come in with like a broadband signal jammer and, and jam, you know, the entire five gigahertz spectrum, for instance. Um, and that equipment, disturbingly, is actually not all that expensive um, to do. Um, but quite honestly, such such a criminal would probably technically savvy be technically savvy enough to to find kind of easier points of penetration on your network. Okay. So you know the short answer is, you know, if if you do the the simple basic things, you change the default password, you change the WPA key, you don't keep reusing the same passwords and same keys from link to link or at least from property to property um because uh, you know i've seen whole companies taken down mm -hmm. from social engineering you have one disgruntled 
technician um, who's got the password for everything and, you know, they, they can just get in that way. And that's basically social engineering. That has nothing to do with how you set up the, the security on the device itself. So when you talk about security, you really have to, to think about it from multiple angles. Yeah. But from the wireless side, again, putting on an encryption key, changing the default password are, are very simple, basic things that can be done that will secure you against 99% of the, the, the kind of casual attacks that would be out there. Excellent. Um, so I guess we'll move on to uh, the last question here and hoping to get a little more at, you know, kind of the end of the process here with uh, with a LIGO Wave install. Um, just wondering if you could tell us about any of your clients who've had a particularly successful experience uh, integrating wireless and, uh, you know, what did they do right in the setup and what kind of results are they seeing? Sure. Um, I'll give you two examples. Uh, I've got several, but but I'll give you two examples that I, I think are, are very representative. Um, the first was was a network that was deployed about eight or nine months ago. Um, it's in, in the Chicago area. It was a, a residential garden-style apartment complex. They had, I think, 49 cameras spread across 19 buildings. Oh, wow. Um, the, the clubhouse, which is where the NVR was located, was actually in, reasonably in the center of the property. <laughs> um, although I've... I, most of the time, it usually is in one corner, which makes it harder. Uh, in this particular instance, it, it was actually, you know, reasonably centered in the property. Um, but because, you know, the buildings are all like two-story, three-story buildings, mm -hmm. um, I don't have line of sight from my my clubhouse, right, where my NVR is. I don't have line direct line of sight to all of my buildings. So what we need to do there is is we needed to pick intermediate buildings that we used as relay points. Okay. And we tried to pick intermediate buildings where which already had cameras. So basically from, you know, I went from the M from from my clubhouse, I, I had I think four wireless links that that went out to four kind of buildings that were neighboring. And then from each of those buildings I had again another set of wireless links going out and hitting some of the outer buildings. Um, and typically we hit everything within two or three wireless links. Mm -hmm. You don't want to kind of go, you don't want to go too many hops because every link introduces latency and we have some stuff in our protocol that, that will minimize the effects of latency, but, yeah. but you know, it, it's just that latency is the delay from when the signal is sent to when it's received. Uh, but it's just a matter of physics, right? I'm always going to have a certain amount of latency. And if I, if I go three, four or five hops, the, that latency just stacks and stacks and stacks. Um, and especially for your high resolution cameras, yeah. um, you know, like that 10 megapixel, you know, camera to read license plates that I had talked about, um, you know, the, the, the more bandwidth that they're transmitting and the more megapixels that the cameras have, typically the more sensitive they are to latency. Okay. That's just typically how it varies from vendor to vendor for the cameras, but typically that's been the pattern that I've seen is that the higher the resolution of the camera, the more sensitive it is to latency. So you really mm -hmm. want to minimize it. So we did all of these. Most of them were in two shots. There were a couple of buildings that we had to hit with a third shot. Um, and this was all done with, with two different access points. Our, our, our LIGO DLB 590 AC, which is a sector antenna model for point to multipoint. So that would be the point. So it has a wide field of view of 90 degrees. 
And then we used our, our legal DLB 520 ACs, which are have a 16 degree field of view. So they have a very narrow field of view. We use those at the endpoints, and then we use those also for point to point connections. Um, and that system has been up and running for now eight or nine months on again, you know, 49 cameras spread across 19 buildings. Um, and to my knowledge, they have, everything's been working fine since they've activated it. Fantastic. So, and you know, it's, it's just, it's just humming along and going because that's what you want out of these systems. You want them to just work and you want them to just keep working. Yeah. You don't um, have to keep going back. Yeah. So the other example that I'll cite very quickly, mm-hmm. uh, we worked with the, the IT department at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. They had several off-campus buildings um, that were, you know, usually between a mile and like two, two and a half miles away from the main campus. And what they wanted to do was essentially extend their campus network, um, both for surveillance as well as just for, for data. Uh, from the main building to these remote buildings, and they had line of sight, um, but obviously, you know, they're they're literally going over the town, yeah, um, to to hit these these satellite buildings that were were in the middle of town from the campus. And we used our our enterprise rapid fire five twenty threes, which are designed for long distance shots, um, and these are designed for several miles. Um, so we had links that I know uh, the first link we deployed in this case. I think was 1.6 miles. Oh, wow. Um, and they were getting sustained uh, bi-directional bandwidths of about 450 to 500 megabits per second. Oh, wow. Sustained data bandwidth. That's what they were measuring, uh, which was far more than they actually needed. Um, they wound up deploying about five or six of these uh, to hit various buildings in the city. Um, and again, they were using this both for kind of local you know, surveillance at each of these remote buildings, as well as for data traffic uh, to get to get the staff um, on the back on the campus network. Um, so, you know, it, it, the applications that you could use for this are, are, are quite varied, but, but it just kind of shows you the potential of uh, what we can do with this equipment. Wow. That's exciting. That's exciting. Um, well, I think that's about all I have for you. So Jason, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Pleasure, pleasure speaking with you as well. And if, if any of your listeners have any questions, they're welcome to to come visit us at, at LegalWave.com and, and reach out to us. And, you know, if they have particular projects that they, they want us to consult on, please feel free to reach out. Absolutely. And we'll get that contact information up on the site as well. So they'll have it there. Uh, again, Jason, thanks again. All right, Chris, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. If you and your organization want to learn more about wireless backhaul equipment and installations for your surveillance needs, head on over to LegoWave.com. That's L-I-G-O Wave.com for some more details. There you'll find product and contact information as well as support and some handy online tools to help prepare for your project. We can't thank you enough for listening. So until next time, this is Chris Duyard for Access Control.